Well, uh, my name is Chris. I'm the senior pastor here. Uh, I feel more senior than I did seven years ago, so I can take that title. Um, but uh, in my office, I have a picture, and it'll come up on the side screens, that I look at. Maybe it'll come up. Can you see it? All right. And uh, it's a picture that I look at uh, a lot, and it says, Believe in yourself, all things are possible. And uh, many times when I'm going through my week, I'll look at that uh, to kind of get encouraged. And uh, I feel like, wow, you know, that all things really are possible uh, if you believe in yourself. The only problem is, is that, I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't believe in myself. You know, and I think that that's the way it is for all of us. There are times we just don't believe in ourselves. And so this week I was looking at that and I took a little post-it note and I put God on it. And I put it up on my picture, and now it says this. It says, believe in God, all things are possible. And in fact, Jesus said that. He said, "Um, all things are possible for those who believe in me. Now, as we carry on our our vision of JAR 2.0 and the dream of fulfilling that, uh, we are going to be starting a second celebration on October 14th. We had some people that were so excited that we were starting a second celebration, they actually invited their friends to a 1045 celebration. So if they come in late, you'll know why. But we're not actually starting this until October 14th. And we'll have two celebrations. One will be at 9 o'clock, because some of you think your whole day is done if you come at 1030, so if you come at 9, that'll be great. And for others of you, like to sleep in and take it easy, and so... 1045 um, will be the other one. And we think what's going, what's going to allow us to, to do is have more space uh, for more people to impact our community uh, in a greater way. And mo- most importantly of all, to just simply help people grow closer to God. Now, in order to do this, though, we need everybody to believe in God for this. And some of you are like, well, I just don't want to believe I want to actually put my belief or my faith into action. And so we have a couple things that I want to encourage you to do. First of all, I want you to amp up your ability to invite people to come uh, to the jar and to get connected to God. And in your program, there is a uh, little uh, invitation that you can pull out, if you would. It looks like this. And uh, if you can pull that out, wave it. Once you have it, okay, that way we'll see, all right, we're all doing the wave now. And uh, I just want to encourage you to invite somebody and give this to them. Now, this is all you have to do to your coworker, neighbor, family member. You walk up and just simply say, hey, I just wanted to invite you to our church on Sunday and give them this card and it kind of gives some of the details. And then the second thing that's just as important is tell them, I'll meet you up front at the Y, and we can sit together. You see, one of the things that doesn't work out very well is that you'll invite someone to come, and then you never meet them. And they'll say, well, we were there. You're like, where? I don't know, but we left real quickly because we had nobody to sit with. So we want to call that kind of our 
lobby area place, you know, where we can connect with people. And so um, you can go ahead and, and do that. The second thing that we need from you guys is we need you to uh, commit to serving once a month. This is going to take some more volunteers, but I know you guys can do this. And so you serve in one, and then you can still celebrate in one. It's not like you're going to miss anything. Both of the celebrations will be identical. And so two ways that you can kind of do this. Now, I'm really believing that God's going to do something great in this. Now, the question is, are you with me? Maybe by September will be better. Let's uh, invite the greeters to come forward. We're going to take an offering at this time. And uh, if you are here for the first time, uh, we just want you to put that card in. You don't have to put anything else in. Um, But if you call this your church home and you're learning to give, we want you to give generously because of the generous God that we have. Let's pray. Well, God, we uh, thank you so much for your church called the Jar. And God, we uh, thank you for your goodness to us. That you really are good all the time. And that you care for us in great ways. And God, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you for the times that you challenge us. And God, we really believe that all things are possible in you. And so we're stepping out in faith in the next couple of months, God, to believe you and to trust you that you're going to provide for us. May the offering now, God, that we receive this morning be used to touch many lives of hurting people in our community so that your name would be made great. And God, bless each person who gives this morning that you would touch their lives as they are generous to you. Holy Spirit, we ask you now to come. Help us to recognize your presence in this place. And would you speak to us, convict us, encourage us, challenge us to grow closer to you. Increase our faith this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're going to conclude our uh, summer series on David. I hope you've learned a lot more about him and you've enjoyed uh, that experience together. And uh, as we've looked at David, one of the things that I think we've found is that he was an incredible man. And I was just thinking about it this week, that there is no human being that I've ever read about who had such highest highs and such lowest lows in his life than David. I mean, just think about it. Throughout this summer... We've learned that he was an amazing person. He went from a little teenage, pimpled shepherd boy all the way to being king. He went from a fugitive running for his very life 
to being a conqueror. He was abandoned by everyone, but he also understood the deepest levels of friendship like no other human being. He was a very tender worshiper, but he was a violent warrior. He was a murderer and an adulterer, and yet he's the only person in the Bible who is told that he had a man or he had a heart. He, he was a man after God's own heart. You know, I don't know very many human beings who have had such highest highs and lowest lows as David. And I think part of the reason that his story resonates with us so much is because we get David. Because all of us have had highs and lows and so we can appreciate his life and we can understand it. Because whoever you are, whatever you've done, wherever you've been, David has been there before and he understands it. And he understands you. Now my encouragement to you is not just to connect with his story within the summer and then end it, but I want to encourage you to keep connecting with his story uh, in First and Second Samuel and Psalms. He really became a spiritual mentor to me as I read his story, how he could encourage me. But as we conclude our series this morning, I want us to look at something that happened to his name when we entered the New Testament, the second half of the Bible. Because there's a very significant connection between David and Jesus. Now, if you recall, uh, the New Testament begins with a part of David's lineage. In other words, a part of his whole kind of uh, you know, genealogy. Jesus' genealogy is there, and so is David's, and it's all found at the very beginning of the New Testament. And we're told in the New Testament, in the very first verse in Matthew, it says this, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the what? What's it say? The what? Son of David. So he's the son of David. One of Jesus' most important titles was the son of David. Now you might be sitting there going, so what? What's that such a big deal? Well, we're going to unpack that here. So in the very beginning, he gives the son of David, and then the very last word that Jesus says in the Bible is in Revelation. And it says this, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. He was a part of that lineage. He was the son of David. Now the question becomes, why was Jesus called the son of David? Why is that such a big deal? I mean, no one else in the Old Testament is as closely linked to Jesus as David is. Jesus is not addressed as the son of Moses. He's not addressed as the, the son of Elijah. He's not addressed as the son of Isaiah. But over and over and over again in the Bible, he's referred to as the son of David. So the question becomes, why 
would he be called the son of David? Now, do you think, those of you who've been here throughout the summer, do you think it's because of David's flawless moral character? Not so much. I mean, there were so many other characters in the Old Testament who had purer hearts than David did. In fact, I think that this connection with Jesus had absolutely nothing to do with David's giftedness or his character or how handsome he was or his courage. I don't think it really had anything to do with David whatsoever. I think what it had to do with this title, what it had to do with was what God was up to through David. You see, God is always up to things, folks, even when you don't see God moving. And God was up to stuff long before Jesus came to planet Earth. So why was Jesus called the son of David? Well, first of all, I think it's because it is a title of hope. The the name son of David is a title of hope. When people would walk around in the first century and they would say the son of David, they were like filled with hope. People were filled with hope. Because, you see, David's reign was like the golden age of Israel. We kind of have that in our own country. Remember Camelot and JFK and all the things that were going on and it seemed like everything was awesome and people would go, oh, the 50s and 60s or whatever year that was, that was the best. You know, it was the golden age. And... He wasn't the first king, though. He was only the second king. Because if you remember, the first king, Saul, was a disappointment, and he was very divisive. He divided the country, and and David came, and he unified the country. He put the country back together. And he defeated enemies. And he led them to places of prosperity that the country had never experienced before, and it would never experience after that point, even up till the present day. They had never experienced this kind of thing before. And then David's son, Solomon, took over and he continued it on. But then Solomon had a son and his son divided the country. He said, we're going to divide it. And Israel was in the north and Judah was in the south and it was divided from that time. And it's still in division today. And the division brought centuries and centuries of exile and depression and discouragement. Even up to the point of the day of Jesus. And so throughout the whole history of this country, there was only this one brief moment, this one time in which there was this prosperity and goodness and everything was right. Everyone was free. There was a devotion to God. There was an honoring of who God was. And that was under David, who was God's anointed. And so his name kind of became associated with a time of hope. Now, let me give you kind of an analogy of this from the sports world. In the 1990s, there was a particular team that experienced the golden age of unprecedented success and winning. 
It's from a windy city north of here, but right after the 90s, it went into the deepest, darkest abyss. And the name of that team is called what? The Chicago Bulls. Doubles. Doubles. There was a day when NBA opponents would come to the United Center and the presence of MJ appeared unto them. And the glory of MJ shone around them and they were afraid. But when MJ left, all the glory inside of Chicago left with him. And it hasn't been back since. And I remember Bulls fans, which I wasn't, I was a Pacers fan, but Bulls fans would come up to me and say, man, if we just got MJ back. And if you remember, he decided after he won three titles, that wasn't enough, so he went and he took on baseball. And he stunk. Horrible. I mean, Derek, who's on our softball team, could play as good as him. That bad, you know? And uh, so he plays baseball for a while. And if you remember the story, he returned, but he sent a telegram. Very weird, because we don't talk about telegrams today. But he actually sent a telegram. He had two words in that. Do any of you remember what those two words were? I'm back! That's it. All he said was, I'm back. And the city of Chicago and Bulls fans and Jordan fans everywhere were filled with hope. And then if you remember, they went on and they won three more titles. And he retired a second time, if you remember. And he said, I'm back again. But this time he didn't come back with the Bulls. He came back with the Washington I always call them bullets, but I know that's way too old. What are they called? Yeah, Washington Wizards. And then his glory left, and the glory was gone. Well, by the first century, folks, the glory of Israel was long gone. Long gone. And for hundreds of years, they were controlled by other nations. And nothing was the way it was supposed to be. The people thought that God would always put someone in place who would be able to give prosperity and peace. And for centuries and centuries, that never happened. But the hope of Israel was, someday we're going to get a king who's going to come back again. And they had names for him. They called him the Son of David. They called him the Messiah. They called him the Christ. They called him the Anointed One. And the people thought, when the Son of David comes, he's going to turn everything back to the way it's supposed to be. He'll make everything right. And then Jesus finally came. And some people, not all the people, but some of the people recognized him. And they were like, there has never been a man like this. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord's chosen one. He is the Son of David. He has come, folks, and He's finally going to set everything right. And it's very touching to me 
when I read the New Testament, and I didn't get this until we did this series this summer, but it's very touching to me now when I read the Scripture and it refers to Jesus as the Son of David. Because when people would say the Son of David, they're often people who don't have any hope. And so if you don't have any hope today, or you feel a little bit helpless, the Son of David is here. Here's just a couple examples from Scripture. The first one's in Matthew chapter 15. It says, a Canaanite woman, in other words, not even a Jewish woman, but a foreign woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, out, Lord, son of, what's it say? Son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Non-Jews didn't come to a Jewish teacher to ask for help, but this woman knew that this man was something different. He had hope. He was the son of David. He will heal her, and he did. Mark chapter 9, there's a guy who's blind. His name's Bartimaeus. He's on the side of the road, and the Scripture says this, When Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out, Jesus, what's it say? Son of David, have mercy on me. Many of them rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus, the son of David, loves to continue to heal and help people today. He loved it when people would come to him and they would ask for help. And he was never too busy. He was never too preoccupied. He was always ready to help. He loves to give help and hope to people. So let me ask you this question this morning. If you were Bartimaeus and you were on the side of the road and you saw Jesus Christ walking along, which he didn't see him at first because he was blind, but if you heard him, you heard that he was coming and he was walking along, what would you cry out for? What is the thing that you would cry out for? What do you want most to receive from the Lord in this season of your life. What would you ask Jesus for if he walked in here today? Maybe you would ask him for healing, physical or emotional healing for yourself or for someone else. Maybe you would want to ask him for peace. Maybe your life right now is all frantic and it's stressful and you're anxious and school has come and the kids are, you know, driving you nuts when they get home from school. Maybe you just need peace. Maybe you'd ask him for joy. The reality is you're here this morning and some of you put on the big old Jesus church smile. Everything's good in my life. How about you? But the reality is you don't have joy. You're depressed, you're discouraged, you're down. And if there was anything that you could have this morning, you would say, Son of David, give me joy. Maybe it's a prayer for our church. In the next couple of months, 
Like I said, we're going to be moving to two celebrations. We think we're going to be able to impact many more lives and create a better experience for people. And you would just pray to the Son of David. I mean, what would happen, folks, if we all came with one heart and one mind and one spirit and we said we were going to impact our community in Muncie and Delaware County and all of East Central Indiana in such a powerful way that when we started a second celebration, it would already be full. There would be dozens and dozens and hundreds of people who would walk in here, not because of the great facility we have. They would come in here because the Son of David is in this place. And He's in the place of some of your lives. And there's love that is flowing and lives that are being changed. And we could provide them an opportunity to actually know the one who knows them best and love the one who loves them most. You could change their eternity with that kind of prayer. And so what I thought we would kind of do this morning is that I'd like you to just break up with, if you came with your spouse or a couple people, that you would just pray for a moment with a couple other people. And if some of you are like, I don't want to do that, that's okay. Just pray by yourself. But we want to just give you a moment to pray about a couple of things. And they'll come up here on the side screen. First of all, and we'll leave them up there. So if you'd like to keep your eyes open during prayer, that's okay. But here's the first one, that you would ask God for what you want most from Him in this season of your life. You could write it down. There's space in your teaching outline. You could write that down. And then secondly, we want you to pray that God would pour out His blessings upon our church as we go to two celebrations. So I'd just like you to take a moment, two or three other people if you want to pray with. If not, just maybe with your spouse. Or if you just want to do it by yourself, you can. But let's pray right now, asking God for whatever you need most in your life right now. He wants to do that for you. And then secondly, to pray for his blessings upon our church as we step out in faith. And after uh, we give a little time, I'll kind of close this in prayer.
know about the request of every single person in this room. And as we pray for your healing, for your joy, for your peace, God, would you pour all of those things out on your people right now? person who's wanting healing for their body or someone else who's got to bring healing. For those who are anxious and worried about things, God, bring your peace. God, for people who are discouraged and depressed, God, I pray that you'd fill them with your joy. God, as we pray for two celebrations that are coming up, God, we pray that you of our friends and our family and our neighbors and our co-workers who are far from you. Give us the courage, God, to reach out to them, to show them love, to invite them to a place where they can meet you. God, we thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace that you sent to us. We pray all these things believing in Jesus Christ, the Son of David, Well, the first reason that Jesus was called the Son of David is because it was the title of hope. It's a reminder that one who is greater than David is going to come, called the Son of David. And he's going to make all things right. And so why was Jesus called this? Well, first of all, it gave hope. The second reason is because that name emphasized the humanity of Jesus. It emphasized the humanity of Jesus. Matthew, the guy who wrote the very first book of the New Testament, was a tax collector. In other words, he was an IRS agent. How many of you love IRS agents? Raise your hand. It's like two people, they got a relative, you know. That's... And you're in their will. If you weren't in their will, you wouldn't like them either. But yeah, and and Jesus walks by his booth one day and he sees him and he says, I want you to come and follow me. And Matthew leaves everything and he follows him. And Jesus impacts his life in such a great way that Matthew goes ahead then and he writes down all these encounters and teachings of Jesus. And he realized that Jesus was fully divine. He was the Son of God. He was God incarnate, and yet he was fully human. He was the son of David. He was a real human being. And so he begins his book with the genealogy of Jesus. Now, people don't write books beginning with genealogies. I mean, it's kind of a boring way, you know, to begin with a... a, uh, you know, new book. Like, what's that one? Fifty Shades of Lovin' Dovin'. Whoa. Woo! What's it called again? Fifty Shades of Grey. Like, that author, when that author wrote that book, they didn't say, I'm going to give a genealogy of Fifty Shades. No. They started in with some hot and heavy and let it go, you know? 
So it's not like a real gripping way to start a book. Now the question is, why does Matthew do this? Why does he start with a genealogy? Have any of you ever spent time with someone who is obsessed with their family tree? Do you like being around those people? People who love genealogy. Well, my Uncle Phil uh, was one of them. And uh, he looks kind of mean there, and he was, actually. (laughs) And uh, he loved genealogy. He would study it all by himself. But he kind of got me hooked into it a little bit, and he could trace our family all the way back to Germany before any of them came to the United States. And I remember one time that my wife Jennifer and I went to go visit him before kids, and he was discussing our family roots, and I was so excited about this, and we're all into it. And I looked over to my wife Jennifer, and she was brought to tears. Tears of boredom. I mean, she wasn't excited about my family tree whatsoever. It was not exciting stuff to her. But to the Israelites, to the people who Jesus came for, genealogy was a huge deal. And when people would write their genealogy, they only wrote people down who were heroes. Like they didn't write down Uncle Al who was an alcoholic and had ten wives and beat the last one to death. You don't put that person in your genealogy. You put all the people who were successful and wonderful and great. Well, the ironic thing is, here is Jesus Christ now, the Son of the living God. He's a hero. But when you look at His genealogy, folks, there are some shady characters that are a part of it. And let me just give you four. I can't give you all of them, but I'm going to give you four. The first one is Jacob. In verse 2 of the New Testament, of Jesus' story, it says this, Isaac, the father of Jacob. Now, Isaac wasn't a bad guy. He was a pretty good dude. But his son was a liar and a deceiver. He took his own brother's birthright. It would be like if you go to the attorney after your parents are dead and they're divvying everything up and somehow they fly in, your, your siblings fly in under the radar and they change the will to basically say, you get, you get squat, I get everything. That's what Jacob did to his brother Esau. He took it all. He was a liar and he deceived his father. He dressed up like Esau, and he goes to him one day and he says, I want the birthright, Father. And his father was blind, so he just kind of touched him and he had put some animal fur all over him to make him real hairy. And he blessed him with that. And Esau lost everything. Folks, that's not the kind of person you want in your family tree for people to talk about. Then there was another ancestor, Tamar. Not the one that we talked about earlier, but uh, long, long ago in Genesis 38. But in verse 3, it says, Judah, the father of Perez and Zara, was 
whose mother was Tamar. Now, to you and I, that doesn't mean anything. But to the Jewish reader, if they were reading that, they're like, Tamar? There is actually a woman in that genealogy? No way! Because women were second-class citizens. It was a patriarchal society. It was all about men. And Jesus has women in his genealogy? But not just any woman, but she's actually a foreigner. She's not even a Jew! And then it gets even worse than that. In Genesis 38 it says, when she became widowed, she didn't have any children, and children were like blessings, like social security. And her father-in-law kicked her out of the house and treated her like a dog, and so she disguised herself as a prostitute, and she slept with her father-in-law, Judah, so that she could bear children. Now, folks, that is scandalous in our culture. But in this culture, it was beyond scandal. And this person is in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What's he doing there? Verse 5, it includes another woman, Rahab. It says, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Again, it's not a man, it's a woman. You find out real soon she wasn't Jewish. She was a foreigner. And folks, she didn't, you know, dress up like a prostitute. She was a prostitute. And she is in the lineage of Jesus. And if you remember the story, she helps two Israelite spies as they go into the town of Jericho. And she's in the genealogy of the son of David. Finally, in verse 6, we actually get to David himself. David comes on the scene and says, And Jesse, the father of King David. And we've learned about David all summer. He was an amazing man, a musician, a warrior, a king. He was a man after God's own heart. But he committed adultery, and then he figured out a way to kill off the husband of the woman that he slept with. And so David was both a murderer and an adulterer. Now here we have this genealogy, and that's just four shady characters that don't belong there. Their sin is so great. I mean, these were people who flubbed up, messed up, and screwed up in life. And they should never be in a genealogy, let alone the son of David, of Jesus himself. Now, you have to understand that any devout Jew would be shocked. And these names would be a scandal. So what in the world are they doing there? Well, I'll tell you what I think they're doing there. I think Matthew is tipping his hat to what is to come. And what he's making real clear is that Jesus Christ, the son of David, has come to take on all of the sins of the world, of everyone. And he becomes the representation of salvation for everyone who has ever messed up. And the story of Jesus will not just be good news for the, you know, religious superstars and one ethnic group. 
But when the Son of David comes, He opens the doors wide open. And He says, whoever you are, whatever you've done, wherever you've been, men, women, super spiritually people, super spiritual midgets, sinners, saints, I'm opening the doors. Everybody's welcomed in. Everybody can come in. And He says, I'm going to take on the guilt of all the prostitutes and all the pagans and all the adulterers and all the murderers. I'm going to take on everything that old David messed up. And He says, I'll take you on too. And Jesus is just looking. He's looking around. He's saying, you can be a part of my story. 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 Whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, you can be a part of my story. And Jesus came, the son of David. And because David was not perfect, I think that's exactly, precisely why Jesus placed him in there and said, it's okay for you to call me the son of David. Because the son of David came for fallen sinners like you and me and David too. And Jesus took on the humanity. He took on all the sins himself. And he offers to partner with you. If we simply say yes to him. You know, I was thinking of uh, probably my favorite verse that includes David. And it's in Acts 13, and this is what it says. For when David had served God's purposes in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. Now, the key part is that beginning. Folks, David served God in his generation because of the grace of the son of David. David had his day. He was born. He had some gifts. He did some things really well. He did a lot of things really, really badly. But he served God in his generation. Now, this is your day. David's day is done. This is your day. This is your time to serve your generation in your day. And I thought of a way for us to kind of be reminded of this is by a little slip of paper that's in your program. It'll come up on the side screens here. But I'd like you to pull this little paper out. And the pen that is in front of you, I'd like you to pull out as well. It's a little sheet of paper. And I'd like you to write your name in on that blank line. And this is a reminder of what you want on your tombstone one day. Just fill it in. So mine would read, For Chris Bunch, after he served the purposes of God in his generation, fell asleep and was gathered to the Father. And you put your name. Don't put Chris Bunch in there. Put your name. And then I want you to put it somewhere. Maybe on the dash of your car, that when you drive, you're reminded, I am to serve the purposes of God for my generation. 
Maybe on the refrigerator. Maybe on the bathroom mirror. And that's your epitaph. That's what you want on your tombstone. And I just have one final question I want to ask you. And it's this. What would you like to give to God during this season of your life? What would you like to give to God? You already kind of told Him when we prayed. You asked Him what you wanted from Him. Now what are you going to give to Him? Maybe things in your life have become so frenzied and out of control and you haven't really spent much quality time with God whatsoever except when you come to church on Sunday. But you're like, you know what? I want to give Him something. So I'm going to give Him a special time of prayer. I'm just going to pull off somewhere and just tell Him how much I love Him. And just spend a longer amount of time than usual. Just you and Him. Maybe you're not currently serving here at the jar. And you could say right now, you could say, you know what? When we go to two celebrations, I'm going to commit to once a month serving in some way. Just commit to God that I'm going to serve His church. I'm going to serve Christ's church. Maybe it's to invite someone. Maybe you get that card each week and you like just kind of throw it away, but there's somebody you know, some coworker, some friend, some neighbor, somebody that you could invite and connect with. It's going to take some boldness. It's going to take some guts, but you could do that. You could change. Just think about this, folks. You could change the eternity of someone else by simply reaching out to them and getting them connected. Maybe there's a relationship in your life right now that is not quite right. And remember last week we talked about forgiveness and I I said you need to forgive and maybe some of you are here and you're like, I didn't do it. And so, man, you're being challenged again. I need to make that right. Straighten things out in a relationship. God really wants to use you for this generation. There are people that you will impact and lives that will be changed that Billy Graham could never touch. But you can. And I just want to remind you that the son of David says, I choose you to be a part of my story. And he really does. He stands up in front of God and he says, I choose you and I choose you and I choose you and I choose you and I choose you. I choose all of you to make a huge impact for this generation. And he really does long for you to do that. Let's stand for closing prayer. God, we uh, thank you so much for the amazing life of David that we've been able to study and dig into to go deep with. We thank you, God, for the highs that we've learned about him and the very, very deepest lows because it helps us to relate to go, you know what? He's just like me. But God, we thank you even more so this morning for the son of David. And so help us now, God, 
to go out from this place in this generation to say that we serve the purposes of God in our generation so that your name would be made great. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place. If you'd like prayer for anything, we uh, have some people up here that would love to pray with you.